Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello, 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 everybody. Hello, my friends, all over the world, wherever you are, whenever you are listening to this. Today, I am going to talk, well, I'm going to take a practical, I'm going to do a very, hopefully, practical, um, meaning you can take what I talk about today and put it into practice in a way that is beneficial to you. So, I'm going to take a practical approach today. Today, I'm going to talk about altars, personal altars. I'm going to talk about why you might have a personal altar, what to do at a personal altar, how to set up a personal altar, what not to do maybe, set up a personal altar. Excuse me, and what are the benefits of having personal altars? And you may have more than one, and what are different kinds of altars and all kinds of stuff. I'm going to talk about altars today. Um, It's a topic... Uh, it's a topic that I love, as, as is everything I talk about, because um, I get to pick the topics. It's my podcast. Isn't that cool? Uh, I, I'm also happy to talk about things that other people are interested in hearing about. Um, and if you contact me through my website or, or social media or however, um, certainly I would be happy to entertain topics. I probably would not talk about something that I had no clue about. Um, because that would be a very short podcast and, you know, I, I don't like, <laughs> I don't just, I try not to just make stuff up, do my best. I don't think I ever, don't think I ever have on one of these podcasts. Things are certainly my opinion and whatnot. So today we're going to talk about an altar and, you know, we, we all know what an altar is. We've all seen altars. Maybe you've been in church or temple, or you might live in a culture where you have um, some sort of spiritual altar in your home. <clears throat> and if you're not, <clears throat> if you're not religious, surely you've seen uh, TV programs or you know whatever were movies where altars have been represented. So, you know, what is an altar? Is it just a table, you know, where religious things happen? Well, in a, in a way, yes and no. So, um, you know, one thing that I know and notice is that um, altars exist in all kinds of uh, in all kinds of spiritual traditions, right? And, and I don't just mean organized religions uh, where you go to a church or a temple or a mosque or synagogue or whatever and there's um, there's a you know there's an altar up front where religious ceremony is held but there are lots of traditions going back to the beginning of humanity where altars uh, you know altars were a place of spiritual focus. I know that um, in, you know, Andean cultures, Andean shamanic cultures, you know, they would lay out a cloth on the ground that would become an, an altar. I know in um, Shinto uh, traditions, um, you know, in, in Japan, you know, many, many, maybe even most families have a um, kamidana or, a, you know, a, a shelf in their home for the spirits is a, is a type of altar. And in, in my, my opinion, we could perhaps differ on whether or not that constituted an altar, but I, I believe it, it serves, uh, serves the purpose of, of being an altar. Um, in ancient Norse cultures, they would have, there were, you know, there were religious temples where people would uh, do pilgrimages to and, and, gather and feast and do sacrifices and that sort of thing. But they also had out, outdoor altars that they would, 
you know, that they would set up and, and worship. And uh, I believe they would have indoor altars where they would have images of the gods that they worshipped, you know, that, that sort of thing. <clears throat> so, and, might I add, um, there is some evidence from uh, prehistoric peoples of, um, you know, skulls of cave bears and things being arranged in ways that would indicate, um, you know, would indicate them being used in religious rites in a way that is uh, um, similar to similar to an, an altar. And so, uh, you know, the, ha- altars are things that are cross-cultural and throughout time and... Um, you know, you may have a personal altar, or you may not, or you may be wondering about why I should have an altar. <clears throat> so for me, an altar is a, uh, you know, I always, and I, I say this almost every time, I always define my terms just so that you can understand what I'm, what I'm meaning to say. It is not to say that my definition is the definition, or if you looked it up in the dictionary, the dictionary might differ, or if you asked a you know religious scholar from Oxford um, <laughs> what, what his or her definition was, the definition might differ. And that's fine. Um, I'm not trying to present myself as, as the authority on definitions of things. I just want you to understand what I mean when I'm when I'm talking about this. So so to me an altar is a is a special surface. <clears throat> Excuse me. I do not edit these and so when I if I have a little um a little coffee go down the wrong pipe just a moment ago, I may cough a little bit and um I'm going to leave that in cuz I am uh I am imperfect and my podcast will be imperfect and uh I don't I don't really, I don't really edit them. So, coughs and sneezes, and uh, I don't think I've ever burped or farted. But if I did, who knows? I might leave, that, <laughs> probably leave that in too. Um, so anyway, an altar is a special surface where that that is a focus of spiritual activity. Okay, so if you think about, um, you know, in a Christian church. An altar is, uh, you know, probably some sort of special table at the front of the church, maybe up on, um, you know, up on risers, up above, and it is a place where, you know, communion might be prepared or, you know, special, you know, candles and flowers are placed and, you know, um, you know, it's a place where ritual might take place. So it it is a surface, a special surface where, um, a prepared surface that is a place of spiritual focus. And a lot of people might have um, little altars that they meditate in front of, right? Um, might be a little table where they place, I don't know, an, an image of um, Buddha or some other uh, you know, spiritual figure or light a candle or put some incense or... Um, that sort of thing, right? So again, it's a specially prepared surface that is a focus, a spiritual focus, or a focus of spiritual practice, or a focus of worship. And <clears throat> why do these show up everywhere? Why do we see these in so many traditions, in so many cultures, across um, generations and generations of human beings, and who knows, maybe someday they'll discover that um, you know, uh, other hominid species had altars. I don't know. I don't know enough about um, paleoanthropology to, uh, to speak intelligently about that. So I won't. But, you know, what I will say is that this seems to be an important or impactful practice. Having an altar seems to create an impact, a spiritual psychological impact having a special place to help spiritual focus 
especially prepared surface to have spiritual focus seems to have an impact on people enough that it has become an important, if not absolutely critical part of many, many spiritual practices. Now, if you were to walk around, if you were to walk around my house um, and even outside my house, you would see many, many altars, <laughs> numerous, you would see numerous surfaces that I have prepared for spiritual use um, or for spiritual focus. And, you know, the reason I have different altars or, you know, a number of different altars is that for me, they provide different, they they serve different purposes. They serve different focuses. So for example, I have, uh, I have an outdoor altar that serves as a way for me to focus on and present offerings. And I'll talk about offerings uh, today as well present offerings to the nature spirits that are, you know, local. You know, local spirits are important, um, uh, at least to me and to many other people, but um, definitely to me. And so I place offerings there, and I, um, you know, I have a, a special place for them for, you know, where I can focus on them and interact and have a good relationship. So this altar allows me to be, in relationship with these spirits. And that's another important use, right? It's to be in relationship with spirit. If you have, um, you know, if you were of the, you know, if you practice Shintoism, you would have a Kamedana, which would be, you know, house um, spirits in your home. And it would allow you to make offerings and, um, you know, have a relationship with those spirits and in hopes of, you know, providing safety and providing harmony and watching out for you. Uh, and this, you know, we see this tradition, um, you know, similar tradition, uh, you would have different words for it. The altar might look different, but it, you know, very similar, very similar traditions, um, throughout the world. So I, you know, so I have altars that uh, allow me to just that sort of keep permanently that um, allow me to have an ongoing relationship. And I, you know, in my spiritual practice is shamanism and um, shamanism is all about being in relationship to spirit and to spirits, um, to the different spirits that we interact with. So it is about creating... um, you know, good relationships with spirits and maintaining them. And, and, you know, this particular altar does that. The center of my house, I have um, some shelves that uh, actually have a couple of different, uh, you know, a couple of different altars on them. And, uh, you know, one is akin to um, material things. It has some um, representations of uh, deities that are uh, provide materially and not to, you know, not to sound like, you know, money grubbing or greedy or anything like that. But this is the center of my home and I am a provider for my family. And these are, you know, this is an important consideration. If I were living in, um, you know, if I were living in a hunter-gatherer society, you know, I would have a similar altar that perhaps had images of um, animals that I needed to hunt for to sustain my family or sustain my tribe. So this is a similar, this is a similar thing. This is um, not about um, hoarding cash or you know um, buying buying a private plane. I have no aspirations to buy a private plane, anything like that. It's just about um, allowing me to provide safety and food and a home and clothing and the material necessities for my family and myself 
to um, to live, to be comfortable, to be safe, and to not be threatened, and you know that sort of thing. And and it has served me very well. Um, you know, I'll do, I'll probably do a podcast on money and the spiritual aspects of money at some point in the future. I think there are. Gosh, a whole lot of misconceptions about that, but that is a little bit beyond the scope of um, a little bit beyond the scope of this particular episode. I could, because gosh, I could go down that pathway uh, at least for an entire episode. So maybe the next one I'll do about uh, money and the spiritual aspects of money, and you know that sort of thing. So, um, so I have that, um, and then there is. Uh, you know, an altar that is sort of um, dedicated to um, divinatory practice, um, meaning I, you know, have my decks of tarot cards there, and I have um, several pendulums there, and I have um, images of some of the spirits that I work with, you know, sculptures and that sort of thing there. Um, so, yeah, so, and then I have I have another altar elsewhere in my house that has um, uh, representations of all the power animals that I work with. Again, this is about me being in relationship with them. I have, gosh, I have a lot of altars. Um, I have um, another altar that has representations of the traditional um, elements of um, earth, wind, water, and fire, or earth, air, water, and fire, however you want to put it. Um allows me to be in relationship to those elements. And, um, you know, amongst others, you know, I have a few others. I'm not going to go through all of them. I don't want to bore you. And um, I guess I'm kind of an altar fanatic. But I have an altar where I do um, very specific uh, ceremonies, very specific rituals. And I did a podcast on ritual and ceremony before. Um Ritual is symbolic action, right? Ritual is something that we do that is um, symbolic. So, um, you know, when I train, I train martial arts my whole life. When I enter a dojo space, I bow. That is a symbolic action of respect. It is a ritual that I am doing. Or a ritual might be, um, you know, I. Uh, do a certain chant and perform a certain set of exercises. And a ceremony is something that's done to mark that a special occasion that includes ritual. So a ceremony might be like a wedding ceremony, right? Um, A wedding ceremony might include numbers, uh, lots of rituals or a ritual, um, but it marks out, it marks a special occasion in time, which is the, you know, creation of a marriage and, you know, other spiritual things are ceremonial, right? They, they mark out something, something special. And we have ceremonies, you know, birthday celebrations are, you know, include ceremonies, at least in, you know, at least in the U S we have, you know, when, you know, our, our, you know, tradition I'm comfortable with, I'm, I grew up in, we have a birthday cake and we put candles on it. Normally one candle for every year the person was born, I guess up until they become a certain age and then it becomes a fire hazard. Um, and, you know, we sing to the person and then they blow the, they make a wish and blow the candles out. That is a ceremony, marks a special occasion, and it includes ritual action, like the blowing out, the, the you know, the candles representing each year of birth, the blowing out of the candles we may not think of that as a spiritual or religious ceremony because it's very lighthearted, but in essence it is because it's still symbolic action. It's still metaphorical. It's still, um, you know, is meant to convey something through symbolism. Um, and the ceremony aspect is that it's marks out, you know, a, years a passing of a year in somebody's life so anyway that's ritual and ceremony and um so i have an altar where i do certain ceremonies um i make offerings and i told you i would talk talk about offerings 
So why might you want to create a personal altar if you don't have one already? Um, there are lots of reasons. There are probably as many reasons as there are people, if not more. I have Obviously, I have more than one altar that I use for different reasons. But again, it's a place, it's a specially prepared surface that allows for certain spiritual focus to take place. So if you meditate or you want to meditate, you might create a small altar where you can, you know, that helps you focus, that helps you focus your attention when you meditate or something that is inspiring. Because an altar has the ability to impact us on a spiritual level and a psychological level, right? Is a physical representation um, that allows us to focus, to create atmosphere, to have a psychological impact. The things you place on an altar are important. Things you choose not to place on an altar are important. Um, the size and shape of an altar aren't all that important. So, in my um, when I teach uh, when I teach shamanism in classes, I you know I talk to people about creating creating their own altar it is fairly important practice in shamanism. And, um, you know, I have people from all walks of life who um, live in, have different living arrangements and they, you know, might live in a tiny apartment or they might live in a huge house or who knows, right? And so space is sometimes a consideration. So a shelf can be an altar or a windowsill can be an altar. You can also have, and this is common in many um, traditions as well, you can also have a temporary altar. When I teach in a space where there is no, no altar surface, I will set up a temporary altar. I, put a, I will put out a special um, cloth on the ground. I will set candles. It uses a square um, square altar cloth, and I will place candles on, on each of the corners, and I will put a bowl of flowers in the middle, and people will place sacred objects on and around the altar. And this becomes the altar for the time that I'm teaching the class, you know, maybe a two-day class or, or what have you. Um, it does not have to be a permanent fixture. Now there are advantages to having permanent altars, right? Like the more the more focus you put on something, the more sort of energy it gathers, right? So there is there is this effect. Um, I don't have a good term for it yet. I got to think of one, but um, you know, if you've ever done this experiment as a as a kid, uh, maybe you did it in school where you took, um, you took a piece of metal, maybe it was a, a, a nail or a screw or something, right? And you took a permanent magnet and you rubbed the magnet or you rubbed the nail over the magnet or you rubbed the magnet over the nail in the same direction over and over and over and over again. And the nail became magnetized, right? The, the magnetic like it, the magnet changed the configuration of the ions in the nail and it became magnetic and then you could um, you know, maybe not as strong as the permanent magnet but it did you can magnetize things that way or you can magnetize metal by passing them through um, you know elect you know magnetic fields well that is passing it through magnetic field but generated by electricity so um, so the same thing happens with the same things ha happens on a spiritual level that um, when we work with something spiritually, its spiritual essence gets um, rearranged over time. And the more you work with something, the more sort of power it gets imbued with or the more um, in alignment with its spiritual purpose. And I'll give you an example of that. I may give you a couple examples. So um, there are lots of traditions that use prayer beads, right? Um, I know they're used 
um, for example, in Catholicism to count prayers. Um, you know, they're used in uh, Hindu traditions and, and Buddhist traditions to count repetitions of chants. Um, there are probably other traditions that have something similar where you're counting the number of chants. And so, um, you know, if you have a set of prayer beads, so, um, you know, in, uh, in Hindu and Buddhist tradition, I think they're always called mala beads, but I'll say they're called mala beads for my purposes. I could be, you know, if I'm, if I'm misspeaking or mispronouncing, um, forgive me, feel free to send me a message and correct me. Um, I mean, no disrespect. I'm just, you know, using the terms I know. So you have these mala beads and you um, chant and you count the number of times you chant. And um, so in Hinduism and, and Buddhism, traditionally, there would be 108 of those. It's a sacred number. And so you would count, you know, 108 mantra chants, mantra repetitions with that mala bead, set of mala beads. Now, I have been taught, and people may have been taught something different, that if I recite different mantras, right? So I have, you know, one mantra, we'll say Om Mani Padme Hum. Let's say that I chant that mantra and then I have another mantra that I chant Om Nava Shivaya or something um, that I should use different set of mala beads for each mantra. And the reason for that is that as I'm using that over and over again, it becomes imbued with the power and intention of that particular mantra. And if I chant a different mantra over the same beads, it's sort of like erasing the work that I did before or confusing or that sort of thing, right? So this um, this object, this street of string of beads um, is no longer just a string in beads. It becomes a sacred, spiritually charged object that um, helps me as I continue to do this practice. So in shamanism, we work with uh, different tools. I might work with a drum. I might work with um, rattles, right? And, you know, we might do ceremony to empower these tools to be sacred objects. Um, and that's an important, you know, important part of the practice. However, we also continually work with them, right? So the more I work with clients and, you know, I'm drumming or I'm teaching a class and I'm drumming, um, again, I'm using this for the same purpose and it gets imbued with the energy that is around it. Just like rubbing a magnet over a nail, you have to do it in the same direction. If you rub it in the different direction, it's going to demagnetize the nail. So, um, so the same thing happens. So this is the thing with altars as well. If you have an altar and... I'm, and this is not to say that you have to have, <laughs> you have to be altar crazy like I am and have a ton of different single purpose altars. You certainly can have an altar or an altar piece or an altar space that, um, that serves multiple purposes. They should be sort of aligned, you know, as the, the more you can make them aligned, the better. So, um, you know, if I have an altar where I meditate and I have, um, you know, um, certain deities on there, I should make sure that, uh, they're, they're compatible. Um, this is not to say you can't have syncretistic altars where you have deities from multiple pantheons, but make sure they're compatible Sometimes that's not. Um, sometimes that's not really okay. And I've heard stories of. Um, I've heard stories of people not really know what they were knowing what they were doing. Perhaps creating an altar um, where they put uh, representations of certain African deities on, and there were two deities on there that um, traditionally were enemies. 
And uh, this caused a significant amount of strife until it was remedied by somebody who knew what they were doing. So just be careful, you know, be, it it does sort of um, serve us well to know what we're doing. Um, You know, uh, there is, I'm not, you know, I'm not really a, a love and light spiritual person. I believe in love and light. I love everyone. I believe in the power of light but I also believe that the brighter brighter the light, the darker the shadow, and that there are, um, you know, the idea that all deity or all spirit or all whatever is um, altruistic and beneficent um, doesn't always pan out really well and sort of ignores ignores things that are true in other cultures. Um, you know, it's sort of, in my opinion, it's a little bit of, um, spiritual, I don't know, spiritual optimism, but it's, it's sort of cockeyed optimism in that it's, um, overlooking some things that there are, that there are wrathful deities. There are stories of, um, you know, deities being at war. So I, so for example, if I were, you know, if I were following the, ancient Norse pantheon, I probably would not put a representation of Odin and a representation of a storm giant on the same altar, unless I really wanted to cause some strife. Um, so here's, and, and here's the thing, okay, whether, whether or not you believe that gods and goddesses are real or that these deities are figments of people's imagination, it doesn't really matter all that much. Because what matters is that these, these at least psychologically, but I would argue very much so spiritually, um, you know, and I have had um, lots and lots of experiences with different deities, um, that these are real, these are real intelligences However, if you don't want to believe that, um, you could believe that they represent different forces in the collective unconscious or real archetypes. And those archetypes could potentially be at conflict with one another. Okay? So you might not want Odin and a frost giant. So if I were to um, just say that these... Uh, representations are mythological archetypal constructs that don't really exist um, on a spiritual plane, which is not my truth, by the way. But you know, maybe your truth, and so I want to I want to respect that. We could say that these are archetypal forces that that represent for thousands of you know at least several thousand years that represent. Um, absolute destructive conflict and the forces of order and chaos being at battle with each other. Um, And unless you really want that psychological representation in your home, seems like a bad idea to me. You can do whatever you want. I'm just telling you, um, telling my take and telling you what, you know, what might happen. Um, I don't know of anybody that keeps altars to frost giants. I'm just using this as, as an example. Um, but there are certain pantheons where the gods and goddesses don't necessarily get along. Um, you know, I know that they're certainly in some, Af- I, you know, I've heard, definitely heard stories in some African, um, African traditions, and I don't know enough about it to um, speak about the specific pantheon or the specific gods and goddesses, but I'm, you know, I'm just relating something from, you know, somebody who has some experience with, um, you know, African magic and African spiritual work and um, relating a a story to me. Um, And then, you know, I don't, 
you know, so again, you know, the other, the other thing is that, um, alters can quickly become, um, you can, you know, put, you, you know, have sort of the kitchen sink altar. And I've at times been guilty of this where you put everything on an altar, you know, I've seen altars that are just covered with, stones and oracle cards and images of angels and images of uh, Native Americans and images of animals and images of this and images of that. And um, in that case, you know, you potentially run the risk of um, uh, creating a, an unfocused altar. And again, um, you know, an altar is a, to me, is a specially prepared surface that helps create spiritual focus. Um, and so if you have a junky altar that looks like, you know, looks like your local uh, New Age candle store with stuff strewn all over the place, um, that might not provide the greatest effect. It might not provide the focus, the spiritual focus that would be most beneficial to you. So it's just something to consider. You know, have a look at it. Um, I actually had this great um, this great exercise, um, and you can perform this yourself, and you can perform it in your home, you can perform it with your altar, you can perform it with your workspace. Um, and this comes from a neurological-based coaching practice where you would do an inventory where you would um, look around the room with, a, you know, if you were a coach, you would take your client and you would look around the room and look at every object in the room one by one and just talk about what is your first visceral emotional reaction to that object and how strong that was. Is it positive negative, just make you feel good, just make you feel bad. So you can do that with your altar. You can do that with each item on your altar, and then you can do it with your altar as a whole. You can do it with different arrangements of your altar. Okay. And emotions are closely tied to spirit. Um, they are, you know, they when we perceive when we perceive emotions, they can sometimes be an indication that um, there is a spiritual disturbance or or our spirit is um, doing really well. Um, I can tell you that uh, soul loss, which is a breaking away of pieces of the soul body, um, usually due to trauma, can come with severe depression, severe anxiety, um, dissoci- dissociation, that sort of thing. So um, those are sort of like the spirit body, the soul body, bubbling those things forward into consciousness through um, through emotions and through, you know, sort of cognitive experience, how we're, how we're perceiving the world. So perceptual experience, emotional experience, all of those things. Um, so those things are very closely linked. So you can have, you know, have a look at your altar space. So again, you know, if you, if this, uh, if you listen to this podcast and you go, oh, wow, you know, I would really, I'd like an altar space for X, Y, or Z purpose. Um, you know, you can create one anywhere, almost anywhere you are. Um, it does not have to be permanent. A permanent one is, is, you know, has some advantages. And I talked about that, how the spiritual energy sort of rubs off it creates a vibratory field if you will or a field of spiritual energy if you worship at the same altar day in and day out you um you know it becomes easier to worship there because there's sort of this you wind up in the the aura of this object and objects do have aura um if you know of like psychics who do psychometry or find lost people or things or animals or you know what have you frequently they'll hold an object that belonged to the person or the person wore um, and this is the same thing the signature the energy signature is rubbing off on the things um, they become they become sacred so um, an altar does not have to be a big thing. 
doesn't have to be a ginormous table with a white cloth on it and, you know, three foot tall pillar candles and gold plates and what have you. It does not. It could be simple. It could be a surface with one thing on it or a surface with nothing on it. Frequently, we place things on the altar that help us denote the purpose that that put us in, um, that create a psychological effect. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, psycho-spiritual effects of um, place and uh, and things and, the, and you know that sort of thing. Um, and this is this is important, um, and it has been important to humankind forever. So when we find cave paintings that are 30,000 years old, um, you know, they're created in a way that creates a psycho-spiritual effect. They're almost 3D. By, um, by torchlight, they appear to be moving. They create an effect on the mind, which then creates an effect on the spirit. Um. I remember there. I, I have had there have been um, several occasions where I have noted almost being overcome by the psycho spiritual effect of place by the environment. Um, one was I was visiting Cologne, Germany, and the um, the cathedral there is, gosh. Um, breathtaking, unbelievable um, piece that's been, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't want to misspeak, but I think it's like 700 years old or something like that. Huge stone edifice. And when you walk into that place, it's dark, dark as a cave and just immense and echoey. And there's, you know, flickering candlelight and it has it has a palpable effect on you, even though I'm not a practicing Christian. I don't identify as Christian, but the place, um, the, the the effect of the atmosphere on me is, um, you know, can be felt, could be felt. And undoubtedly, you've experienced this at some time in your life. And it, and it happens, you know, when we're out in nature and we observe a beautiful sunset or we go to a, um, you know, a special mountain or we view a, an incredible canyon um, or we walk into, you know, we walk by a waterfall or um, what have you. The sight, the sound, the atmosphere creates certain psychological conditions that are, you know, can be felt that has an effect on spirit. So your altar space can be like a mini version of that. Okay. And so when you, if, if and when you create um, an altar or you look at an altar that you have, you want to look at it with that in mind, thinking what is the, it doesn't even have to be sort of, you know, really able to be put into words, but you, you want to think about what is the effect you want to create on yourself with this altar. So when I'm, you know, when I'm teaching, and I create the temporary altar, which is an altar cloth on the floor and lit candles and a vase of flowers. I want when people to come into my class to feel comfortable, to feel like it's a place of beauty, to feel welcome, to see the lights, to see the candlelight, and have that sort of... Um, you know, the effect of, you know, we think about light has effect of feeling hope and positivity and all of those things. So I want people to, um, I want people to experience that. And so the altar, the altar space I create is designed in a very 
specific conscious way to create a certain effect on people when they come in. And to be a focus, it's in the center. When I teach, we set up in a circle, and it is in the center of the circle. So it becomes, you know, it be, becomes an area of focus in the class. You know, when people, are, you know, aren't focused on what I'm teaching, um, you know, some of their focus is drawn is is drawn to this thing, and the collective energy of the the class or the circle adds to um, adds to the spirit of the altar, and then people put their sacred objects on them, and they become empowered by the group. And then when they bring them home, they carry that power with them. So you can do the same thing. You can create, you know, you create a space and think about intentionally what's the space that you want to create. Um, I have an altar space that I use um, particularly for new moon ceremonies, um, and particular, you know, particularly with um, certain types of ritual and things. Um, that is much darker. And again, this you know, dark doesn't necessarily mean demonic or evil or bad i think that is um gosh that is just not a great way of looking at things and i you know i think it was one of my first podcasts it might have been the very first episode where i talked about dark and light being two sides of the same coin really so um new moon which is when you know uh the moon is dark right it's you, you see nothing of the moon other than you, you could potentially see the outline of the moon but you know there's no crescent showing it's the opposite of a full moon is when the moon is going from its waning phase into its waxing phase so it's a time of um you know a time of rebirth it's a time of fertile manifestation of uh, of change of all of these things and so if we don't just read the darkness of we're scared of things we don't see, and so we're going to project our demons into the darkness, um, then it becomes, an, <laughs> it becomes, it takes on a much different thing. So I have, um, you know, I have work that I do uh, with a new moon. I know lots of people do full moon stuff, um, but, and, I, and I do that as well, but I also do work with a new moon. Um, and I have an altar that is much darker because it is meant to represent the darkness of the moon and the transition from waning to waxing and the transition from decrease to increase. So it's a very good time to do things like wealth rituals or rituals around material um, sustenance, that sort of thing. So, you know, it's meant to create a certain psycho-spiritual effect for me. And it's something, um, you know, creating specific effects with looks and music and incense and all of those things is is an area, and, you know, this is going to sound like a brag, and it is. It's a little bit of a brag, and I apologize. But it's something that I'm I'm fairly good at, um, at, least from, at least for myself. I don't know if anybody else looking at my altars would feel the same way that I do. But I'm I'm I've gotten better at creating the effect that I want using um, using visual stimulus, using different kinds of uh, incense. So using all of the senses. So you can do the same. Um, you can use all of your senses. Um, you can, you know, if you can, if it's safe to do so. You can uh, burn incense on your altar. You pay attention to what scent of in, you know what the scent of incense is. What's the effect you're trying to create? Um, you know you can reference all kinds of material out there that this incense is good for this and this incense is good for this. Um, but I think like again. Like with the visual inventory, you want to use your senses. If you don't, uh, if you don't like a particular kind of incense or you're allergic to it, I found out the hard way that I am allergic to burning mugwort, and some traditions burn mugwort as a way to uh, smudge an area. 
um, and it causes my eyes to swell up and to turn bright red and look like I got punched in the eyes and, um, you know, my nose to run and become completely congested. It's very uncomfortable. So I don't burn mugwort. I don't mind the smell, um, but the smoke is really bad for me. Um, so you can choose things like incense or um, even, you know, essential oils or, you know, what have you. So you can use scent. Um, you can use scent. Um, I'm in the process of uh, creating my own incense at this point, not to sell, but for my own purpose, um, creating my own incense based on um, based on an ancient Egyptian recipe that I love all of the components of. Um, so I think together will be really nice and I'm going to play with blends and things. So you can create scent, you can create visuals when you're using your altar, you can, um, potentially think about what sound you want to use there. Um, if you're meditating, uh, depending on your tradition, maybe you might have some music or chanting playing, or you might chant or sing or what have you. And, all of these things can create a psycho-spiritual effect. So if you think about religious ceremonies, um, you know, Buddhist or Catholic or what have you, you know, they're burning incense in censers, there's candlelight, you know, if you're at a temple, there's images of the gods and goddesses, and there's, you know, there's people chanting or there's people singing very, you know, special songs and that sort of thing. And all of this creates this effect that helps us focus. It helps us become, feel closer to spirit. It helps us achieve particularly particular spiritual goals or align our energy with a particular um, spiritual reality or deity or what have you. So we can think about all of these things when we think about our altars or creating an altar. Um, I think it's a good thing, even if you don't have a if you don't have a permanent space or it's not convenient for you to create a permanent space. Um, you know, if you have a shelf or a drawer that you could use, even temporarily, once in a while, you know that's better than nothing. Or if you have a cloth you can put down on the floor um, and put a couple of sacred objects on representations of things whatever you can do i think altars obviously are a good thing i've uh got a little altar crazy but um uh i you know i really i like them and i think um i think personal altars have such huge potential because you create them to be whatever whatever you want them to be. If you want an altar to help with meditation, have a meditation altar and pay attention to how it makes you feel when you sit in front of that altar. When you look at the objects on the altar, when you look at the placement of the altar, where is it? Do you have candles burning? Do you have incense burning? Do you um, use essential oils for scent? Do you put fresh flowers on there? Do you make offerings? So offerings are another thing, and I, I'll speak. Um, I'll speak really briefly about offerings because that, again, that could be a whole other podcast. Um, but I do have I do have altars that I use for offerings, and um, the offerings that I make are usually relatively traditional for the. Um, you know, for the spirits that I'm working with. So offerings are always made to, to spirit or to spirits, right? Um, it's not just, uh, you know, I'm going to throw some stuff on the ground or, you know, what have you. Um, I'm going to throw some stuff out there and whoever wants it can can want it. Like your your offerings, you know, will be most effective if they are intentional and there's lots of reasons to make offerings um for one thing there is an exchange in spirit right one thing you might offer spirit is prayer like when you offer praise and prayer to deity or spirit that is a type of offering you are giving your attention and spiritual energy 
um, to that spirit. Okay, that is a form of offering. But usually when people are talking about offerings, they're talking about material things. And certain spirits like traditionally certain types of offerings. So um, I know very little about the practice of voodoo, um, but I do know that there are um, spirits in voodoo that are you know, appealed to or worked with that traditional offerings are things like cigars and rum. Um, and so if you offered flowers to that spirit, it might not work the way you want it to work. Um, when I, I make offerings to nature spirits, um, I, you know, I normally offer things that, um, the, you know, the animals in the area will eventually, you know, potentially come and eat as well. So I'll offer things like seeds. I might offer cornmeal. Um, I don't. I, you know, some people will do to, you know, offer tobacco to nature spirits and that, you know, that's fine too, especially in the Americas. That's a traditional offering cornmeal and tobacco are, are really traditional offerings to spirits of place. And that's fine. Um, I will offer tobacco to, um, if I'm, if I do a ceremonial fire, I will um, offer things to offer things to the spirit of the fire and tobacco is one that I offer there. Um, pretty frequently and I use uh, I don't use like cigarettes and stuff I use um, you know big you know tobacco leaves because it actually smells really good when it's burning as opposed to the way cigarettes smell to me which is nasty um, <laughs> so I use uh, forms of tobacco and but that's really traditional where I live um, so spirits of place are really important and traditions of offering are really important um, so For example, there are places where spirits of nature, you would offer milk and honey, something I also do. Um, I certain times make offerings, uh, we'll say to the goddess Hecate, which is a Greek goddess of sorcery and many other things. Um, And so traditional offerings for her that I have done are frequently like eggs and honey and incense Um, And obviously you have to, like, if they're food offerings, you have to be careful about, um, you have to be careful about, you know, uh, hygiene, (laughs) things like that. You don't want, like, rotting food. Um, And there may be traditional ways of disposing of food if you're, especially if you have them on an indoor altar for any period of time. And you want to pay attention to that methods of, of offering. So when you make offerings... There's usually a prayer that goes along with it that says, I'm, you know, I'm dedicating somehow, I'm dedicating these items to you. Um, and yeah, they're physical items, but in, you know, in shamanic belief, many other beliefs, everything that we see or experience has a spiritual component to it. So food has, food has a physical aspect or wine or honey or flowers or seeds or cornmeal or tobacco has physical representation, but it also has a spiritual aspect. And the idea is that we're exchanging the spiritual energy of the, the um, thing we're offering for something, you know, something in return, whether that's favor or attention or, um, you know, or what, you know, what have you. Normally it's, for me, it's like favor or attention um, and sometimes in some traditions, um, you know, not to be too mercenary, but we're, you know, we're offering something to, to really get something in return. Like, um, you know, you have a sick child or um, something paranormal is going on in my house. And by the way, making offering, like if you do, if you have paranormal stuff going on in your house, um, making offering, offerings can sometimes be a uh, really nice way of, creating more harmony in your space, Um, creating a harmonious relationship with the spirit rather than trying to cast it out. Um, It's like, you know, it's like, oh, you have guests over and they're being a little raucous. Give them a meal and they'll calm down kind of thing. 
So, um, so an altar can be um, a great space to make offerings. Again, I'll probably do a whole podcast on offerings, how to make offerings, what they are, how they relate to spirituality. But I just wanted to touch on that because um, I do have a couple of altars that I use for offerings, and one is outdoors. Um, and I will um, very often place food on that altar that is uh, good for the animals, the wildlife in the area. Um, they'll come and eat it. And that's fine. I know that that's happening. That doesn't mean that the spirits of nature didn't receive that because animals are part of the spirits of nature. Um, is that they took spiritual sustenance from those offerings, that they took the exchange of energy that I don't expect to get it back. Um, in some traditions, people will eat the items that they have sacrificed. Um, I do know in places they will, you know, um, sacrifice, I'm saying sacrifice. It, it is a sacrifice. When you give something up, it's a sacrifice. There's also the traditional word, you know, word meaning like I've killed an animal. I do not practice um, that form of sacrifice, um, nor do I place judgment upon people who do that in a traditional um, traditional way. It's not for me. Um, it's definitely not for me. I don't, I don't like it, but that doesn't mean I'm going to judge you if that's part of your tradition. And in some traditions, they, you know, let's say they kill a chicken, you sacrifice a chicken, um, they offer it up to the gods, but then they, they, they do actually, they do actually eat the, you know, they do actually eat the animal that's been sacrificed. Um, which I think is, is probably a little bit better because, you know, um, even though the material sustenance has been offered to, you know, spirits, um, or the spiritual sustenance has been offered to spirits, the, you know, the material, the animal might have been killed for dinner anyway. I don't know. I guess I, you know, I'm not going to make moral or ethical judgments and just say that I don't do, um, I don't participate in, um, in any sort of, uh, animal or, you know, human sacrifice. I don't, don't do that. Um, uh, it's not part of my, um, not part of my tradition or makeup or anything like that. Um, but there are traditions where, you know, there are traditions where that goes back hundreds, if not thousands of years. And, um, I can't really, can't really speak to that, um, without, without placing judgment that I probably don't have a right to place. So, um, with that, I have, you know, been talking for longer than an hour, um, my coffee. I have my coffee here. It's probably probably a little chilly by now. Um, yeah, not too bad. It's still warm in my mug. But um, I do. You know, I would encourage you to consider keeping a personal altar as part of your spiritual practice, and consider the ways that you can do that. And gosh, we live in the internet age where you can go on to Pinterest or you know. If, hundred thousand other websites and see images of people's altars and take inspiration from them if that is a thing you need to do. But I gave you some guidelines about, you know, um, really consciously thinking about what you might place on your altar and paying attention to the psychological, emotional, and spiritual effect each item plus the collection of items, if there's you know more than one thing on your altar, um, really pay attention to that and and the effect that it has on you, and you can uh, become then it becomes like a machine, like a technology that can be tuned. I like that it's spiritual tech, right? It can be tuned like a radio, but you're what you're tuning is your feelings, you're tuning your psychology, you're tuning your spiritual effect, the altar. The altar is a tool. Um, it is one of many tools. I'll discuss more in future podcasts, but this is a really powerful one um, and one I was inspired um, to talk about today from some altar work that I had done. With that, I will wish you all the love in the world. You deserve more love, not less, and that doesn't matter who you are. 
I love you and you deserve more love, not less. You are beautiful, whole, and complete just as you are. I would ask you not forget that. And then we'll talk to you next time. been listening to Speaking Spirit with your host, John Moore. For more info or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.